It's legal for bikes to ride two abreast and to use as much of the lane as they need to be safe. Slow down to pass bikes. Give them the safe clearance the law requires. Give them five feet. Move over. This message is brought to you by every cyclist you pass who doesn't want to be killed on the road. Visit lmb.org slash take action. Well, uh, good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Gray Matters is the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh bizarre week. I didn't talk about the elections uh, last week, but uh, Michigan, of course, had some interesting uh, results. Um, At least one of which is getting some national attention. Yeah, the the weird anomaly in the John Conyers district is something that I don't think the national media focused on too much because Rick Snyder wouldn't appoint, would, would not create a special election. So on that particular day, they actually had two elections for the 13th district, John Conyers' old seat. One was to fill the vacancy from now until the end of the month or the end of the year, session of Congress, and then one to basically run in the primary. Well, guess what? The results were split. Go figure that one out if you can. Well, I wonder why Rick Snyder couldn't uh, see his way through to... Do it the right way. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is Snyder, of course, uh, did not attend the Bill Schuette, uh party. The lower his profile, probably the happier, uh, I think, uh, Michigan Republicans would want to be. Well, he was supposed to be there, but I think he uh, might have held a little bit of a grudge because uh, his lieutenant governor uh, got trounced pretty good. In uh, the Republican primary, uh, by the way, the Libertarians got about 4,000 votes of about 1.1 million cast. Highest turnout since 1978 for a primary. So that tells you something, I think. And uh, the Detroit area county turnout was very interesting because Oakland County, um, which really is if Whitmer's going to win, that's where it's going to be. Uh, they had a 34% turnout in Oakland County, and I think this explains why she won uh, the Democratic primary so easily. Shree spent $9 million. I don't know how many mailers you got. Uh, the most. He had the most. So he <laughs> spent a lot of cash on uh, shiny cardboard pieces yeah. that are now in the recycling bin. I guess that's the new form of advertising, uh, name recognition, uh, works that way. Although you and I don't really monitor the social media presence of campaigns. I'm no. sure that that is probably increasing, at least, if not currently extensive on the state level. Although th there continue to be uh, problems with turnout amongst 18 to 29-year-old, uh, that 28, 18 to 29-year-old age group um, is notoriously... Um, unreliable for turning out sometimes it's below 25 percent i remember hearing a joke since we'll transition right in we don't i don't think we need to talk too much about the local city council elections which were interesting themselves yeah. in and of themselves yeah. uh our mayor won rather easily but lost 
on city council pretty big, really. If you look at the details, that's kind of an interesting development for the city of Ann Arbor. But I once uh, heard a joke about the, uh, and I forget, I think it might be the 27th Amendment, the one that gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. And uh, the historian said, yeah, it uh, swept George McGovern right into the White House. Whoops. Nope, Nixon won that uh, 72 election in a landslide. And, of course, he's been in the news all of a sudden. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting viciously and vigorously all day today. (laughs) Vigorously is the word, or uh, flatulently and flaccidly, if you prefer that set of alliterative descriptors. Um, Just like, blah, blah, blah. You can almost hear the, uh, the angry grunt says, King Kong, apparently, as Don McGahn has referred to him uh, right. <laughs> while in other rooms. Which we can just imagine that Trump has does have these temper tantrums where he pounds his chest and jumps up and down. Uh, Melania Trump uh, in the Washington area today having a summit on cyberbullying. How utterly bizarre. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave Melania Trump... <laughs> For another day. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of an equivalent for, uh, okay, was it, I think, Laura Bush, right, who reading was her big thing. Yeah, libraries. Had uh, had an interest in that area as well. But this is like George W. Bush burning a book, you know, while Laura's out talking about how good it is to get books into the hands of children. Or even more uh, surreal would be Ronald Reagan lighting up a doobie. (laughs) Well, Nancy... I've been saying yes all afternoon. Well, Nancy is holding a (laughs) seminar on the war on drugs. Anyway, uh, I'd like to point out to Mr. Trump that John Dean was fired. Uh, He was not a rat. Uh, By the way, there is a very interesting interview. You could say he was a rat to the extent that he participated as a member of Nixon's inside circle in obstruction of justice. The destruction of evidence. Yeah. The encouraging. So there were criminal acts that he, that, you know, he was involved in. Authorities might deem rat like, but in the sense that Trump means rat, which is in the gangster category of you dirty rat. Jimmy uh, Cagney, you dirty rat. John Dean did the right thing by saying, well, I am culpable of these many crimes and sins, but here's what I know about what was going on. Well, and Which he the right thing, and he got what's called limited immunity. In other words, he he realized that he wasn't going to be the fall guy. And if you read the tapes, you can clearly see that by late March, early April, John Ehrlichman, Haldeman, and Nixon are concocting a plan to make Dean the fall guy. Uh, this, of course, follows the famous uh, cancer in the presidency conversation. Along with the million, which is Dean's comment, yeah. Along with the million dollars of hush money, where Nixon goes, oh no problem. I think we could get that. I think we can get that. So uh, I think uh, John Dean's interview today on National Public Radio is well worth revisiting because he, eh, it's a little six or seven minute segment about his uh, analysis of uh, Donald Trump's you. Utilization of his name, in fact, um, pointing out that Donald Trump doesn't seem to know too much about Watergate, uh, which is true. John Dean, of course, 
did plead guilty to some criminal charge. I don't remember technically what it was, but um, it was essentially an agreement on immunity. And then his big testimony was actually before the Senate um, committee. Must see TV that summer. Yeah, he was one of the stars. And, of course, there have been some revisionist books uh, written, history books written uh, in the 1980s that claim the dean was behind the whole Watergate caper. <laughs> that this was... That he was playing a deep double game yes. that uh, positioned himself as this kind of a character when in reality he was the master puller of strings. The master puller That's of... the Nixon exoneration crowd. Yeah, well, it involved uh, prostitutes and little black books and all kinds of rubbish. I've always been amused uh, to recall that Nixon called John Dean the, the hippie of the White House. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had... He had hair that was on his collar. He was youngish. Youngish. Uh, had an attractive wife. Uh, Donald swinger. Trump would, yeah. would uh, have been all over that, uh, oh, yeah. uh, metaphorically speaking. That's his uh, his new game. And, of course, you know, Omarosa's uh, 15 minutes of fame lasted for a couple of days. And well, then... I think it's going to be doled out to her in five-minute chunks. Well. She, it she... spreads out over a couple of weeks as she's dropping these tapes. This is the cartoon Saturday morning uh, cartoon Scooby-Doo versus, you know, whatever other dumb cartoon is on between these two reality star people. Well, she, she paid attention to Julian Assange's uh, conduct in the 2016 elections. You know, you, you drop... Selective dropouts. <laughs> you, you drop... It's document dump. Which, of course... <laughs> The White House's response has been, oh, well, we can play that game, too. We've got this uh, obliteration of John Brennan's uh, security clearances. Which is what that was all dated about. Dated back to July that we will drop now because this Omarosa story is going longer through the week than we expected. And it's damaging us, um, obviously. The John Brennan thing is just a, a typical Trump uh uh, tactic. It's a joke. Uh, I don't think it's going to matter much with with John Brennan. And in fact, what's funny about uh, Trump um, basically invoking the right to remove his security clearance is that it allows that process to drag out because John True. Brennan has this sort of bureaucratic right to a hearing. <laughs> and it, it, it's not, you know, Donald Trump keeps endlessly talking about the Mueller investigation, how he wants it to end. And he's the one that keeps talking about it, won't let it end. And truth isn't the truth. Well, Giuliani, <laughs> another yeah. appearance by Nosferatu. <laughs> His increasingly wacky behavior is, I think, pure sideshow at this point. There's there's nothing strategic or legally sound about it. Um but on another level, it appears as though there's a consistent need for the president to uh, openly obstruct justice in the you know every range of possible ways uh, to use uh, the terminology of uh, gangsters to denounce Mueller as thugs. They're thugs. Yeah. I mean, that's that's well, ridiculous. His law enforcement credentials are uh, on the side of the people who lock up the thugs. Uh, there's, he's not a thug. That's a strange claim. Well, he was the director of the FBI for over 10 years and, in fact, was one of the uh, Bush officials that uh, 
stayed on with Obama for a couple of years. One of the reasons that Trump got into so much trouble on this Russian thing is firing James Comey, because there's obviously disputes about who said what, when. Trump's chronology is all mixed up. It's all wrong. And as for Don McGahn, you know, 30 hours of interviews with the special prosecutor, that's fairly significant. But let's also remember that Don McGahn is not Trump's lawyer. Um, he's the White House lawyer. He's there. But it puts him in the room for a lot of interesting conversations that right. are not privileged. And he is not obligated. On, there's no attorney-client privilege issue here. He is protecting the office of the president. This relates to Second Amendment issues, executive privilege, all sorts of sort of fancy-pantsy Washington insider uh, jargon. And I think it became clear that Don McGahn uh, realized uh, at a certain point, because th there was a story that broke last summer, that he had threatened to resign if Donald Trump yep. fired Robert Mueller, because he would basically say that's prima facie evidence of a cover-up. Of corrupt intent. So the, the, the similarity between Don McGahn and John Dean is that they're not going to take the rap for the entire operation. <laughs> and uh, in the case of Don McGahn, my understanding is he was sort of brought in much later in the game. Let's remember that uh, Dowd and uh, Ty Cobb, <laughs> you got to love that name. I mean, that's a, and the mustache. It's a, oh, the mustache and <laughs> him, Ooh, the old waxy twirlio. Him and him and John Bolton have mustache con <laughs> contests on Friday afternoon at the at, at the watering holes in Washington D.C. Loudly, Ty Cobb shows up with mustache wax. John Bolton shows up with a mustache comb. <laughs> In any event, um, leaving aside the mustaches, uh, these two lawyers have resigned. Giuliani is one of Trump's, quote, lawyers, and his performance thus far has been nothing short of spectacular. <laughs> oh, it's been a big plus, all right. It's, uh, for, it's been for a laughs. Uh, as Robert Taft once described Joe McCarthy who Trump is resembling more and more every day, uh, it was a perfectly reckless performance, <laughs> which is kind of what this is. So, uh, you know, let's forget about the John Brennan stuff. That is all a big sideshow. Uh, and that will go on in the media for, unfortunately, for the next week or two. Well, it's not going to do much or change much. It, it's, it is one attempt on Trump's behalf to sort of, play to his perceived strengths as a reality TV show, you know, mega monster, uh, to have uh, somebody he can publicly beat up on and uh, claim that it's accomplishing something. Um, and, of course, John Brennan, by the way, he played a key role in, in the actual kind of beginning uh, of the Russian interference in the election. He was one of the first officials... Uh, that was actually alerted that this was going on. Um, Trump and Putin have sort of uh, gotten together and decided that their side of the story is what's going to become the narrative, and I would pay attention to that. I recall that in early January, 
Vladimir Putin called the Steele dossier uh, pure nonsense. Well, what is in the Steele dossier, just out of curiosity? Um, I refer here to a book called Collusion. Uh, this is a new book out by Luke Harding, a British journalist uh, who writes for The Guardian, who's written extensive uh, articles about the British end of this whole massive scandal. This is starting. This is going beyond Watergate. We're, we're, not, we're not talking about milk funds and hanky panky in Mexico. Starting to talk about the British government, British intelligence, people that worked uh, for these agencies. Uh, Mr. Steele, if you will recall, was a source for the FBI. He was a sort of a professional, uh, shall we say, uh, poking his nose. A researcher. A researcher and a kind of a guy that had sources. He had sources in the Kremlin. Uh, very interestingly enough, Michael Steele. And the original uh, dossier, the first copy of it is fascinating because it asserts in its summary uh, that the Russian regime has been cultivating, supporting, and assisting Trump for at least five years. AIM, endorsed by Putin, has been to encourage splits and divisions in the Western alliance. Hmm. Has that happened? Well, yeah, it's happening big time. Trump attacks the allies regularly. Our, Routinely at this point. Our NAFTA partners. <laughs> He's got a particular grudge against uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau at this point, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada. Here are some of the other summaries in the first copy of the Steele memo, the so-called dossier uh, that they're having a big debate about. He writes, so far it is Trump has declined various sweetener real estate business deals offered him in Russia to further the Kremlin's cultivation of him. However, he and his inner circle have accepted a regular flow of intelligence from the Kremlin, including on his Democratic and other political rivals. Three, former top Russian intelligence officer claims... That the S, the excuse me, the FSB, which is basically the Russian uh, CIA uh, internal intelligence, has compromised Trump through his activities in Moscow, sufficiently able to blackmail him. According to several knowledgeable sources, his conduct in Moscow has included perverted sex acts that have been arranged and monitored by FSB. Russian intelligence dating back to the Cheka. We don't need to go into all the acronyms that they had in the 20th century, but they were very adept at setting up these things called honey traps uh, with American uh, politicians, diplomats, and journalists. Uh, it's and beautiful ladies. Beautiful ladies. You can't say no to They are so beautiful. They sort of resemble Natasha in... Uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Don't believe me, no one is looking. Nobody's looking. You're in the clear. Uh, finally, the dossier um, also comprises of material on Hillary Clinton 
that has been collated by Russian intelligence services over many years and mainly comprises of bug conversations that she had on various visits to Russia and intercepted phone calls rather than embarrassing conduct. The dossier is controlled by Kremlin spokesman Peskov directly on Putin's orders. However, it has not yet been distributed abroad, including to Trump. Russian intentions for its deployment remain unclear. Now, this is June of 2016. This is right around the time that Paul Manafort, Don Jr., and Jared Kushner met in Trump Tower to um, talk about dirt on Hillary Clinton. I love it. I love it. Well, surprise, surprise, so did Donald Trump. On the very same day, it turns out that he tweets for the first time about Clinton's missing 33,000 emails. He claims that there was no discussion about Hillary Clinton. He claims that it was about adoptions, <laughs> which is a code word for the, uh, the one of the sanctions uh, things. Trump also, of course, famously... Uh, praised WikiLeaks repeatedly. I love reading those WikiLeaks, Trump said on November 4th while campaigning in Ohio. Uh, he, of course, invited Russia, quote, if you are listening, Russia, if you are listening, I hope you are able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Turns out they may in fact have been because according to the second set of indictments that came down from the special investigation, the next calendar day is the first emergence of, oh, hey, here's some emails. And of course, WikiLeaks. Uh, Julian Assange was participating in this um, coordination. I don't know if it was collusion or not. Um, that remains uh, under investigation, I'm sure. Also in the summary, and I'm taking here from... Uh, David Frum's book called Trumpocracy, uh, well worth reading, states that on August 4th, Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, confronts his Russian counterpart about Russian interference. That's why John Brennan holds the opinions that he holds. This was his job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For a couple of decades... Um, and, of course, explains uh, part of Donald Trump's, Trump's animus towards him. Now, of course, the key day in all of this was the 7th of Oct uh, October. This is when the Department of Homeland Security did reveal um, and released a statement directly stating that Russia is interfering in the 2016 election. So Donald Trump's claims that Obama did nothing is false. It's just it got lost in the fog because on the very same day, Washington, the Washington Post reports on the Access Hollywood video. We don't need to go into that. And then shortly thereafter, Julian Assange begins releasing more emails stolen from the Clinton campaign uh, less than one hour after the Washington Post had reported on the Hollywood video. Collusion? Coordination? You, you be the judge. <laughs> Pretty obvious that there's a cause and effect there. That would be uh, in a universe of uh, unknown millions of random variables, uh, a statistically impossible coincidence. 
I should think. So we have extensive evidence um, that contradicts Don, Donald Trump's claim that there's no evidence or that this is a witch hunt <laughs> or whatever. Uh, he, well, regarding the this, this Steele dossier, the Fox News makes a lot of noise about the fact that uh, this is what the whole Mueller investigation is based on, when in fact it isn't. That was begun by the Australian diplomat who heard Papadopoulos shooting his mouth off about sure. connections to Russia, setting up meet meetings with Russia, which predates the in entrance of the Steele dossier into this whole circle of data. But... Uh, and also, interestingly, involves some characters and sources that are connected to British intelligence. Uh, yes. The, the murky professor, uh, right out of a John le Carre novel, <laughs> as I recall. Uh, I think he was a linguistics professor at Cambridge University. Cambridge, a famous uh, den of spies, a history of spies. Ultimately, though, I think uh, regardless of where the investigation leads, there's a level at which the Republican Party itself bears a sort of awesome responsibility for their failure to put this candidate forward for president when you think that it's if it's a question of vetting, you know, had Donald Trump been vetted, I think he would have proved unvettable, as we now know, just simply based on the Russian money aspects of his long, murky business career alone. But their fear, I think, of saying no, you know, even though we don't like the Access Hollywood video, uh, you are getting uh, more of the votes in the primaries. They should have had the grounds on which to say, sorry, you've crossed too many lines. Uh, we're not going to allow you to get the Republican nomination for president. We'll just go with Rubio or Cruz or whoever was next in line anyway, because they knew they would have lost in a three-way race to They'd come in third behind Trump, who then that would have split the vote and then Hillary would have won. So based on their fear of that scenario, I think the Republicans failed to uh, check an unvettable candidate. And by the way, this gets back to Paul Manafort. Paul, Paul Manafort is obviously on trial uh, on some technical white collar issues that sound pretty open and shut to me. But and by the way, he presented no defense. Uh, which is common. Uh, the burden of proof is on the prosecution to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what a criminal Facing thirty charges criminal trial is, and defendants have that right. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be exonerated. And the problem with the Manafort trial, by the way, Trump has been commenting about it repeatedly. Yet another example of loosely suggesting obstruction of justice, with even hints that there might be a pardon. Manafort, by the way, is going to be tried again in a couple of weeks uh, in a different jurisdiction for a different series of criminal violations. But Manafort was high enough up in the Republican establishment, the sort of mainstream party um, organization as a consultant. This is a guy that worked for Dole. He worked for Reagan. He went back to the Ford years. He was in a big consulting firm called Black, Manafort, and Stone. Now, who's Stone? Roger Stone, the man with the tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. <laughs> he was your Guccifer connection. I mean, this is 
this is twisted. This this is going beyond uh, Watergate. This is this is getting into some really weird stuff because, of course, Stone is one of those characters out of a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah, that's really. Yeah, G. Gordon Liddy uh, was unavailable. So, oh, Roger Stone, he's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. That's the next best thing. Well, just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. It wouldn't be right or fair to uh, let the program pass, especially now that we have a little bit of extra time, it looks like, as the Blue Show will be following us uh, shortly, um, to acknowledge the passing of music legend, Detroit legend, uh, civil rights activist. I think, for my money, the most amazing and powerful singer in all of American music, male or female. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, just, I mean, her, her, her sound, talent. her sound, Aretha Franklin, basically, you know, it tickles your spine. It gives you a lump in your throat. Yeah. Your when you skin, listen to you her get goosebumps, yeah. it's the full <laughs> physical effect of intense. I mean, the power of music is its ability to go directly right into your heart right into your soul and uh that's why as wcbn listeners know people who love music passionately do so because it's such a vital force and when you have an artist who comes along and uh has that set of skills and the warmth of personality that aretha franklin shared with the world uh it's one of the great human treasures yes and of course uh, she'll never be forgotten because of the recordings. And she has a very diverse uh, set of genres, by the way. It's not just a couple of really incredible covers, though those songs themselves are, I think, exactly what Jim and I are talking about here in terms of the um, goosebumps on your on your skin type thing. Um but she could sing opera. I mean, she yep. she could do anything. And, and she famously covered for Pavarotti in a, uh, I think it was a Grammy-related uh, television performance thing. And people wondered, well, she, gosh, she's got a great set of pipes, but she's never done anything like this before. And she nailed it. Just Indeed. nailed it. And, of course, gospel was her, her upbringing. Gospel music is exceedingly powerful uh, stuff. Even when I have ventured down to the New Orleans Blues and Jazz Fest, uh, they have a thing called the Gospel Tent. Mm -hmm. I go into it f to get out of the sun for 10 or 15 minutes because I'm more into the African music, the Cajun music, and that sort of thing. But uh, that, You get a good sweat going in that tent. You get a good sweat going in that tent because there's a lot of people up on their feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yep. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And in a world And with... her father, of course, was... A, a, Good friends with the Reverend Martin Luther King. Yeah, the legendary C.L. Franklin, um, who was nationally known, certainly, uh, in his day. Um, yeah, not much uh, more to add, really, to that. But uh, Very interesting article, by the way, in the Saturday New York Times about the copyright um, issues. Oh, yeah, that was it an interesting sh short changed yeah. Aretha Franklin quite a bit. Uh, basically, if she did your song and you wrote it, uh, it was going to pay off for you, the, the writer, uh, Carol King, Otis Redding, the list goes on. Yeah. 
But uh, well, that song she sold. Named. She sold the a lot of albums. Yeah, she made oh, some money. Yeah, yeah, she had a good career. And that's the other thing about it. Uh, and that brings me back to my point, which it's let me there that we live in really chaotic times with this twenty-four hour bizarre world of uh, politics in this 